Welcome to The Scoop. I'm Rory Hughes. Today we're talking deal, no deal, or Article 50. We still don't know. Naked protests are still able to be ignored. And has politics changed forever? Today we are joined by Michael Jardine, Jessica Lawrence, Jane Corscott, and our special guest is Jamie Foy, a political commentator, but I feel like you should give your own official <laughs> introduction. Well, thank you very much for having me, and um, it's very exciting to be here today. Uh, so I have just recently finished doing my PhD at Queen's, looking at citizens' assemblies as a possible way out of uh, political gridlock, and uh, I'm currently at the University of Leuven in Belgium, where I'm doing a bit more research on uh, different ways of making political decisions that involve citizens directly. Beginning with Brexit, we have 10 days left to a potential crashing out of the EU with no deal, and May has turned to Corbyn for help. This decision came after a seven-hour cabinet meeting on Tuesday, following the indicative votes of Monday, offering no clear alternative to May's proposed deal. So beginning by looking at Monday, the DEP flexed its muscles and its influence, abstaining to prevent the passage of the customs union proposal, defeating it at 273 to 276. There was no alternative clear option put forward, but Labour whipped in favour of the Common Market 2.0, to be defeated by just 21 votes at 261 to 282. Aside from this, Nick Bowles resigned as party whip after his Common Market 2.0 was defeated and said that the government had refused to compromise. Cut to May on Tuesday proposing cross-party talks. So, are we any closer to a deal? Has May seceded her power? Is Corbyn now officially, sorry, unofficially the Prime Minister of the UK? I, I don't see Corbyn as de facto Prime Minister now. Um, I still see like May barely holding on. Um, I, I think she's kind of reached the end of the line in terms of her options. Um, and I think this maybe should have come sooner rather than, rather than later now. Um, it seemed for quite some time that um, she was running out of options, uh, building um, a Conservative-led solution to the withdrawal agreement. And it seems like what may be more palatable to the European Union may be a more of a cross-party consensus-based uh, approach to this, which, to be perfectly honest, should have happened months ago. And I think she's only kind of realised the only way out of out of this like quagmire is by um, reaching out to parties, uh, especially the Labour Party, who, to be fair, have played quite a blinder in being able to get her to this position. For someone, for a party that has only recently kind of advocated a customs union, kind of demanding that she, I think she's now kind of confirmed to to Labour that she will like work against, um, I think the way it was phrased when I heard it was against an unmanaged no deal, which I feel is kind of still leaves things open. Like, I mean, I don't know how you manage a no deal Brexit, as like you essentially don't manage it and it just happens. This has kind of reached the conclusion that it was kind of, yeah, it's kind of ended it's re- it's it's gone through the trajectory that it was always going to go through and it's reached the point it was always going to get to where she'd have to reach across the the, the house and uh and bring labor into those discussions is it is it also not at like a marker of the failures of the conservative party that to succeed all he has to do is not be as bad as them and now he is he's not 
he might not necessarily be in the position of power, but he definitely has the upper hand on the government at this point. And as leader of the opposition, that is what you want, surely. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think it says more about the Conservative Party than it does about Labour. It just says that they've just completely lost power, especially with Theresa May. She just seems to have lost all control, which is good for Labour. To me, I mean... This the writing's been on the wall for for so long in a lot of ways because the fundamentals are it's been a minority government for nearly two years, and the reality's just kind of just becoming a bit more clear as to what that that means because, I mean Theresa May she lost the majority for the Conservatives because she wanted to get um, a, a healthier majority to try and make it easier to pass Brexit legislation, and then when she lost it it was going to be inevitable that some sort of compromise had to go to get the numbers in mm. Parliament. Initially, obviously, she went with the DUP for the confidence and supply. And, I mean, when you really, since December 2017, with that joint report, whenever the DUP were very uncomfortable with the, the language in that over the possibility of Northern Ireland being treated differently. So the writing was on the wall there that they weren't going to be happy with a deal that, that did involve Northern Ireland being treated differently. So the, the alternative to get those numbers in, in Parliament, it was always going to have to come from from the Labour Party. Um, you're saying there that uh, from 2017, the DUP knew that almost they were on a ticking clock themselves. Mm -hmm. So is it impressive that they held their position of influence for so long? <laughs> like they only just kind of overreached on Monday where their abstentions from the votes on the common market and uh, Customs Union 2.0 basically forced me to go right now you melt my head too long go away <laughs> that because that's basically what's happened yeah. that's true too or what could have happened you know straight after the election was i mean the dup could have used their influence there to be very clear and explicit that you know listen if you want our support then uh, what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to have some sort of arrangement where the whole of the uk stays in the single market mm -hmm. customs union so we we leave the eu but we're going to basically have those same arrangements to avoid either a border down the Irish Sea or any return to yeah. border on the island of Ireland, you know, because that's those are the fundamentals that haven't changed, and there's no really way of of rejigging that. And so maybe they're they're going to be able to use that influence now somehow, but it's maybe going the other way if it's going to be Labour dictating the the outcome, which may still mean that the withdrawal agreement goes through with the backstop. So with these new cross party talks. If there is going to be a change in the deal, how can May bring that back to the EU? Because she's been the face of this deal through three defeats. This is her deal. There's no other way around it. How can she legitimately bring back a change deal to the EU with any sort of credibility? Oh, if you vote in a Labour government, say we have a general election tomorrow, vote in a Labour government, mm -hmm. Labour will go and renegotiate this deal. But, like, what is there to renegotiate? The EU have said several times that this is the deal and they're not going to get another deal. Mm -hmm. So, like... It's a big, it's a big yikes for me. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just come out that like the last thirty minutes, that, like the EU have said they will not extend a negotiating period at all. Like mm. the twelfth of May, I think Juncker has been quoted as saying the twelfth of May is the ultimate deadline for MPs to pass the deal. So that's not for Conservative MPs or Conservative government to pass the deal. That's for the British government, the British, the British uh, Parliament, um, Britain to pass that deal. And if not, we leave with a no deal. And that's like the lines have been drawn really now. And it's it doesn't matter. I just don't see you have nine days. You have to the to the twelfth of May, the twelfth of April. Sorry, you have nine days. I don't see what Jeremy Corbyn and Labour are going to bring to this unless unless they have a meeting that lasts forty five minutes and they go, "Do you want a customs union?" And they're like, "Yes, we want a customs union." And they're like, "Cool, 
Let's let's go get a custom machine. Theresa May has picked um, getting her deal across over party unity right now. So is this the top of a very steep hill for her to fall down? Well, I think by this stage she kind of knows that she's not going to be the one to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so by this stage, I think she's tried so far to, to maintain party unity and that's why we've had this, you know, continued yeah. fudge up to now without re- accepting the reality that the numbers just don't physically exist. Um, but now I think she's just resigned herself to the fact that at the minute she has to put her prime minister hat on rather than party leader hat on and see what, what comes with it. A week ago she was saying... If you vote for this deal, I'll leave. This, yeah. uh, this is how much I want yeah. the deal like, and unity and everything to hold together. But do you not feel like this is this is following a very current um, Conservative Party policy of essentially messing things up and then just leaving and expecting others to do the clean everything up? Mm. Like follow like David Cameron did the exact same thing when he called the he called the uh, the referendum, expected to win it, lost it, resigned, and now he left us with all this. Theresa May is going to do the exact same thing where she's going to get us potentially probably get us hopefully get us over the line on on some sort of deal and then just leave and be like deal with it you guys deal with the rest of it like it's just it's um i think it's you have um absolved yourself of any form of like important crucial leadership because i in some ways i have more sympathy for theresa may than i do for uh, david cameron like i have zero sympathy for david cameron and i have very little sympathy but i also like she has been hounded from every single side Mm -hmm. like her own party have treated her probably worse than the labor party have treated her so what is the next stage is the next stage so um there was like a thing the other day and it was like oh um oh if Theresa may doesn't do this we're going to call like a no confidence vote in her hasn't or like three already happened (laughs) yeah and everyone's supported her, like, well, not everyone, but, like, a lot of the Conservative Party who are complaining about her still back her in a no-confidence vote. Yeah. G- but then it's, like, I understand, like, if you get a new leader, it's just going to be the same problems with a different person. So what what is that actually going to do? Like, what difference is having a general election now going to make? Yeah. I think what would probably happen is they would either get a deal or not get a deal, and then after that, depending on what happens, a general election, but then even then... What's it gonna do? Yeah, uh, what what use is a general election at this stage gonna do? Because like, my, as Michael said, like the EU has said no more extensions. Channel Four reported that eight percent of people identify with the political party, while forty percent of people identify with a form of Brexit. So people are moving more towards an idea not encapsulated within a traditional political entity. Put this alongside the rise of populism throughout the world and the appeal of ideas and slogans over political brands. Are we beginning to move away from traditional party voting? Like across, you know, the European democracies and North America, it's been happening for a while that people identify less and less with established political parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose in a lot of ways it, it's maybe surprising that there hasn't been some sort of bigger crisis to make that obvious. Um, you know, so in the UK now when we have Brexit, you know, that's thrown the spanner into the works and then all of a sudden instead of people, you know, being represented by the, the established parties, then it just so happens that le- these labels of remain and leave capture very maybe much better people's underlying preferences mm. and then as the issue hasn't gone away and as divisions have intensified then people do 
see their identity linked to those positions in a way that they don't see their party identity. Um, so it's part it's it's part of who they are, and it affects mm. you know how they think of other people and uh, the the direction of the country. So is it that like an idea is much more personable? The idea is malleable to a person a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's it's like the perfect storm that this has captured some of the divisions that already existed, um, and the the Brexit has just kind of given voice to those two big divisions, maybe between people who. I think more globally they don't maybe have you know really close ties to like a British identity Mm. you know they think of themselves more in multiple identities versus people who have a like a more like narrow view of sovereignty and you know the whole taking back control that it should be within one country and Mm. and less globalized so then Brexit just kind of like maps onto that bigger underlying divide. There's a rise more of political person over a political party and the people know Corbyn before they would know Labour. They don't necessarily align as much as people would have thought they would. Trump uh, didn't always get massive amounts of Republican support, but he gets his fan bases who weren't necessarily Republican before, but follow him because of his identifiable politics of make America great again, I will get you jobs, blah, 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 blah. And the same can be said for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is not necessarily as stereotypical democratic candidate as other people she is a democratic socialist i think and she's kind of more bernie sandersy kind of person who's another icon is there a rise of independent candidates attaching to parties rather than parties taking candidates i guess what you're saying there about like what 40 people or 40 percent of people uh represent or align uh, themselves more with a brexit with a brexit view rather yeah 40 percent of people identify with a form of brexit before like a party well that's like all you hear in the news isn't it yeah. about brexit like you know where you stand on brexit but you don't know where the parties stand on brexit because the views are so clouded mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't really know where where labor stands on brexit at all because as michael said like you have jeremy corbyn who was at, at the helm of it during the referendum and like you could kind of tell that he didn't want to stay in, but because he was like because he's the leader, yeah. the leader of the Labour Party, he's like, um, I guess I got to go with the what the majority want. I feel like having independent candidates and like having people that stand out are, is good for like kind of buzzword slogans, almost right. Mm-hmm. So you're like putting, like I think with the whole thing about AOC in America is that a lot of like media attention, a lot of um, press coverage is about her mm. specifically even though like she represents a whole kind of wing in the Democrat party. Key identifiers that people normally would associate with parties have become embroiled in the person. And it's like, it is like this thing where like this access to like unlimited information about stuff has meant that um, anything you ever did in your past, like will come back, will come back to you. And it's always focused about the individual. Um, and it's always this like people have become this like it's almost like I was reading the whole thing about like someone phrased it as like the Kardashianization of politics where it becomes about like the the specific aspects of an individual as opposed to like the policies they represent the ideas they aspire it's like well what about that person you hear it like like how many people talk about like AOC and don't mention the fact she's a woman and don't mention the fact like what she was wearing and don't mention uh, like her hair or her physical features or how she put herself across and you know look at the how is that ever mentioned sometimes in a positive manner it's seldom ever mm. it's always like looked at like in a way in which you can criticize that person it's become so individualistic and so personal 
like I've never seen a time in politics or like read about a time in politics where it was so intensely personal where there was so much fixation on the individual and not the ideas so with the Kardashianization of political entities and just personalities in general because we're in a sort of new field as you were saying Michael that there's a lack of regulation that there's a lack of structure is that why it's leading to tension and stress that are overlapping into violence and like journalists outside parliament on I think it was Monday and Tuesday after the votes were getting attacked and getting shouted at and saying you can't report us you're Channel 4 you're left wing you're BBC you're right wing XYZ that there's a lack of structure and traditional this is how you do things because politics has changed so much now that it's kind of free roam like social media does have a, a huge role to play because you know just thinking back you know to the whole party backdrop as well you mm-hmm. know in the past the parties were were necessary because they connected people to government you know for organizing for for trying to get a range of views that were kind of coherent mm-hmm. and then have a choice between different parties but then now I mean, they're less essential because then people can, you know, they've got their own voice through Twitter and then they can connect with other people who sh- share those views yeah. through through Twitter. So whereas in the past you would have had, you know, let's let's just to put it mildly, you know, the, the extreme views, the really anti kind of elite views, they might have been filtered out because they didn't maybe have the, the means of connecting with other people who shared those mm-hmm. like pretty extreme views whereas now then it's just so easy for them to connect with each other and then to to organize and challenge existing parties i'd say like the focus on like different ideas in politics now instead of supporting just one particular party means that people can have so many different views that might not be aligned to just one party so you might have a view about something that's more right-wing leaning Mm. but then you feel very staunchly about something that's left-wing and it doesn't really you don't really fit in a box of a party. So I think by people having like Twitter and ways of organizing themselves, they're like thinking of setting up other organizations that will help them advance certain causes, but not like an actual political idea. Mm-hmm. Like, people are more interested in concepts and political things that are coming up, like Brexit or whatever, instead of actually focusing on supporting a party, because they realize by supporting one party, I'm not going to be able to have all of my ideas represented because people have so much so much access to all the information they could ever need. They can just quite easily research things. Yeah. And if they have an idea about something, they can research it, look it up and see whether they agree or disagree and And they're not necessarily going to a party for that. Yeah. In in history they may have gone to the party for that sort of information that yeah, they can now get themselves like, well, what, we, what does the party think about this? Yeah. Sort of way, but you wouldn't even think of doing that now. True. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know anyone personally in and around my age who is a staunch supporter of one political party. I genuinely can't think of one. We have like somewhat like commercialized politics. Mm-hmm. So in the same way like uh, like now you can like pick and choose like anything you kind of want now and like you can customize like any item that you buy now and all this sort of thing. I think we want our politics the same sort of way. Like again, and it comes back to the problem about identity. Um like people's political identity I think is not you cannot put like no obviously there are some people who are like I am entirely conservative in every single way mm-hmm. and I vote for this party because they represent every single one of my views now that does exist but it's very rare I think people are far more complex like 
in some ways that's why the party system like f like doesn't work in some senses because if you want to truly represent human beings you can't like, you can't be you black can't, and white you can't yeah. do that with a party so what, what a party exists to do is to collect together like-minded people on some key core issues and the problem is our key core issues have become so vastly diverse mm -hmm. is that like you know now it like barely represents anyone because you know you have to have a policy and everything and if in some ways if like three or four of the things that the party maybe doesn't represent you on that you're like well all of a sudden this party doesn't represent the slightest and parties change and evolve so like i don't know are they a redundant like facet of like the history of of politics like do we need parties anymore you know, bernie sanders able to raise like 28 million quid in like four days of like campaign launching from like grassroots because but that just made a mockery of like the political system when there were people members of that party who didn't get that far and he was never a member of that party <laughs> and then just ran for the nomination for the party for president so like it begs the question do parties matter anymore Rebellion for stripping to the underwear and gluing themselves to surfaces in the House of Commons. They wanted to bring attention to what they described as the elephant in the room of climate change. Extinction Rebellion have stated that their aim is to get activists arrested or sent to prison to draw attention to their cause. On the 15th of April, they plan to have an international rebellion and bring London to a standstill. Why is this being ignored? Why is environmental crisis? being put on the back burner compared to Brexit? I think it's because, <coughs> sorry, I think it's because um, like with uh, Brexit, there is like a tangible end to Brexit, right? Mm -hmm. So like you either leave on April 12th or May 12th with a deal or no deal situation, right? So that's kind of like, it's kind of a crisis point for Brexit. Mm -hmm. And that's what's kind of occupying, occupying the news. Whereas with climate change and like environmental issues, there kind of really is no like tangible deadline in front. So like, I guess like uh, organizations and like environmental organizations can be like, oh, like in 12 years, like the planet's gonna end. And people are like, oh, well, it's 12 years away. It's not really a, a crisis at this point. We've been joined by Alison Patterson. What do you think about uh, the Extinction Rebellion protests? Just to kind of build on what Jess was saying that there's a certain immediacy to Brexit that there isn't with kind of environmental problems and climate change because you know you're saying it's an issue that is literally an issue of life or death but essentially it's not an issue of life or death for any of us because it's not going to happen within our lifetime and I think that that's something that with people um, it just doesn't really resonate and also it's such a strange concept it's like you know when you're in a plane and you're looking down you're like mm, I'm 20,000 feet in the air but like you don't if that actually registered with yeah. you you'd you'd shit yourself and i think that with climate change like if if you said like the world is literally like the the ice caps are going to melt and in 10 days we're all going to be flooded out then people would start to care it's a, it's a next generation thing it's a next generation problem like policies and warnings that are coming out now saying we have 10 years to fix this we have less than we've eight years it's still too long of a time it has yeah. to be something much shorter i think it. so yeah I, I think people just also don't notice it. It's like when, when, you know, we had those couple of, like, summer days in February and everyone's like, oh, isn't this amazing? Yeah. And then other people are going, yeah, planet's dying. Um, yeah. But people, you know, just so... There's just nothing to really snap you out of it. And I think that it's one of those things where we're so 
embroiled in things that ma- the the way that life has gone there's almost no way of reverting back to to re to like undo the the damage that's been done and the damage that is going to continue to be done because we're not going to give up things like cars like we're not we can't we can't go back to to how it was when these problems weren't you know weren't issues so i think that people kind of look at it as well that the changes you know it's like having um the plastic straws like getting rid of plastic straws but there's still like plastic cups and plastic everything else and it's it's small changes that i think people don't think make a difference um so it's something that there's just they just kind of put out their heads because what's the point kind of thing today you're listening to rory hughes michael jardine jessica lawrence dean corsgarden addison patterson and dr jamie Pye. To find out more, follow at QR The Scoop on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.